Self-righteousness, Luke 15. We're right in the middle of uh, the parable. Self-righteousness or scarcity mentality or transactional mentality. And I put FOMO up there. Do you guys know what FOMO means? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. A scarcity mentality. Far from the heart of God. All right. We are right in the middle of the parable of Luke 15. One of uh, my all-time favorite uh, passages in the Bible. And a lot to unpack. And in Luke 15, it talks about the lost. Right? Sinners who are, who are the lost? Sinners who are unrepentant. Talks about the lost coin initially, the value of a lost coin, the preciousness of a lost sheep. And in fact, the lost are, in fact, the Pharisees. This is how it started, where Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees were self-righteous, with their disgusted that Jesus, God, would not come to them, but... I think, I think that's the hidden subtext, this fear of missing out, scarcity mentality, that God, here these religious people, God would come to the sinners and not the religious people. The parable talks about lost sons and let's not forget our lost daughters. It talks about being in a far off land, sins of commission, sins of omission, I've described, defined that for you. Committing is just conscious, uh, overt uh, acts of rebellion and sins of omission are doing the things that God wants us to do that we don't do. The Apostle Paul said it very well, right? It's always a tongue twister. (laughs) What I want to do, I don't do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. I think, I think I said that right. <laughs> you guys are uh, slowly following, right? It's always a tongue twister. Either I get the front backwards, the backwards frontwards, and, and all. What I don't want to do, what I want to do, what God wants me to do, I end up not doing. That's sense of omission. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing, sense of commission. So as a prodigal goes off to this far-off land, he becomes in need, right? Starving. It's not life-sustaining. He becomes alone and in need. I think I highlighted the four Ps that he goes after, these false gods of power, position, possessions, pleasure. Remember that? And then we'll find in the next passage of the character arc of the older sibling, there's anger, jealousy, self-righteousness. In both, they have estranged relationships, a transactional relationship, servants and masters inside the house of celebration, outside the house. And then it gives us a picture of God, Jesus, our Father's perspective towards sinners and us, who watches and waits and runs after, embraces, restores, rejoices when each of us are humble, when we finally humble ourselves and turn towards God. 
the character outline of the younger Cymbeline, those who are found, that is, sinners who repent, who are humble and turn toward God. I love the wording here. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. He became sober. Apostle Paul talks about consider ourselves with sober judgment. With sober judgment. Those who return, come home, who reconcile, who confess in humility. Those who are lost but now are found. Those who are tantamount to being dead are now alive. There's so much in Luke 15. Luke 15 fully illustrates God's view of his estranged children who are separated from their creator, father, due to selfishness, a flawed sin nature, and what it looks like to repent. In modern terms, that far-off land is a scarcity, transactional mentality in how we relate to God and others. You recognize this guy? It's not Yul Brenner. It looks like an older Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about a scarcity mentality in his book. People with a scarcity mentality think there is only so much in the world to go around. It's as if they see it as life as a pie. When another gets a bigger piece, then they get less. Such people are always trying to get even, to pull others down to their level so they can get an equal or even bigger piece of the pie. Let's take a look, couple minutes at this uh, video. It explains and introduces the second son and the Pharisees very well. The, se- the second son represents the Pharisees. Self-righteousness. I thought that video said it pretty well. <laughs> a little better than I could. Contrasting that uh, we can go off to a far-off land in committing like overt sins, but sins of the heart, this self-righteousness uh, that our second son kind of introduces to us. So in verse 25, the older son illustrates the scarcity, self-righteous mentality. It continues on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And he said, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he had returned safe and sound. Now the older son became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But his answer to his father was this. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered all your property on prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The father says, My son, 
You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost but is now found. So much here to unpack. I'm not sure that I'm going to unpack it all in one message. But some fascinating things. The character outline of the second son. We saw the character outline of the first son, right? We didn't know what caused him to go off to a far land to say, give me my share of the money. But the character arc of the second son, who is also lost, unrepentant, the older son represents the Pharisees, the self-righteous, who went to the far-off land. They are outside the arena of celebration, reunion. There's anger, jealousy, hurt, scarcity, unfairness, judging the Father's grace, very much like Jonah and God's grace to Nineveh. I'm not sure that we'll have time to unpack Jonah. But God called Jonah, right? Who's Jonah? He liked sushi. (laughs) Oh, that Jonah. Jonah and the whale. Yeah, that little Bible story. He didn't eat the whale. The whale ate him. He ran away from God preaching to a sinful city, warnings of judgment. And uh, uh, it's interesting, I encourage you to look it up, this uh, sense of black and white, right and wrong, good versus evil. And Jonah burns with anger. He's angry. Why did I bring this up? Because the second son was angry, angry at God's grace and mercy. Jonah was angry where he says, I knew you were a patient God, a gracious God, abounding in love. I've said this before. We often say it in like a hymn-like way. God, you are a gracious God, patient, abounding in love. But Jonah said it with a scowl on his face because it it was not right in his eyes. In fact, Scripture says it did not seem right. Jonah was angry because it didn't seem right that God would lavish grace and mercy on a sinful people, Nineveh. But it talks about a slippery slope of self-righteousness. You guys know what a, a 5150 is? You guys know what a 5150 is? If the police come and call a 5150 on you, that means you're going to be eminent harm to yourself or others around you. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a psychological term or a, or a law enforcement term, a 5150. It's a slippery slope here. Jonah burned with hate, judgment. He wanted punishment to happen. Before Paul was called Paul, he was called Saul, right? And he looked with approval as 
as one of the disciples, I believe it was Philip that was stoned for uh, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee and approved of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen. So it's a slippery slope. We look at Martha, Martha and Mary. Remember that uh, hospitality thing? When you have a, next time you have a dinner party or a celebration, Martha was doing all the work. She felt some unfairness was happening, right? Here I'm doing all the work. Why is it a slippery slope? Well, Martha was probably angry, self-justified in her own mind. Then she did something very awkward, right? She went out, on, went out into the living room in front of all the guests, in front of, in front of Jesus, and went to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, here I am slaving away. I'm doing all these preparation. Tell Mary to help me. <laughs> that was quite rude. Awkward. Awkward situation. So anyway, this comes from a transactional scarcity mentality. I was thinking about uh, the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Very familiar parable to me for many, many years, decades. And it came to me, this scarcity mentality, I think, describes it well. The older son kept a tally sheet, didn't he? He took a tally sheet. The older son said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Interesting word he used. All these years I've been slaving here and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me a goat, a young goat, so I could celebrate. He was keeping track. He was in a transactional mentality relationship with his father. He was estranged from his father, not necessarily from his father, but because of him. There was resentment. All these years, I've been slaving for you. It's very interesting. He uses the same words that the younger son used after all his wild living, right? After all his confession of all his wild living, he says, I know, I'll go back to my father and say, confess that I've sinned against heaven and you, what does he say? Take me back as a slave. My sins were so bad. Take me back as a slave. And here the older son puts himself in this master-slave relationship as well. All these years I've been slaving for you. What offensive attitude paralleled the younger son sins to be considered a slave. The older son felt already as a slave. The opposite of the restoration of the younger son with a robe of dignity, a ring of authority, and sandals of an heir. The older son felt the opposite of that. There was estrangement. It disclosed his heart attitude. The older son's attitude, he says, the younger, you gave him half of your inheritance. He's basically saying, where is mine? (laughs) 
It's a scarcity mentality. If you get half away, where is mine? Don't I deserve more is basically what he's saying. You gave him the fattened calf for his behavior, and you haven't even given me a goat. But this is probably the most important thing of this story. But the father embraces, remember the, where he looks and watches, and even while the younger son was a long way off, he runs to his son and embraces him. The father embraces the older son too. Well, you're reading, well, he didn't really hug him, but he embraced him with this. He says, my son, my son. He's reminding him he has the robe of dignity, a ring of authority, and sandals of an heir. The father takes initiative to restore him or in hopes of restoring him, at the end of this parable, it's a question mark whether the older son steps up and accepts the father's uh, olive branch of restoration. The father acknowledges, yes, you are always with me. Though you are resentful and jealous and only wanted a goat, don't you realize that everything I have is yours already? The father has abundance and wants to transform the attitude of the older son. He says, but we had to celebrate. I like this here. This, uh, um, this is called exegesis of the, the text taking out what's there. I, li I, I, I like to look at these patterns. I don't know. I nerd out that way. Um, but let's take a look. In verse 32, it says, But we had to celebrate and be glad. This son of mine, because this son of mine was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Those famous quotes, right? Look what he does to it. He twists it. But this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father expresses his desire to have the same heart as he. Grace, reconciliation, and rejoicing. It highlights the sin of omission, the standard that God our father wants us to attain to. It's not just this son of mine was dead and is alive again, but this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. God wants him to act the same way, but it only is only going to happen with restoration. It highlights that we all fall short of God's glory. You see, the older son was dealing in a transactional way, comparing his behavior, his works, in a horizontal way compared to his brother, right? And we do the same, right? We look on TV. We look at our neighbors. And somehow the whole idea of self-righteousness can creep up. We have to be watch that. But the older son was also distant. He was outside this house of grace. It's the opposite of grace but condemnation. The opposite of reconciliation but estrangement. The opposite of rejoicing, 
but anger, bitterness, and resentment. Wrapping up, uh, I think I'll wrap up on this point here. Stephen Covey continues on and says, people with a scarcity mentality tend to see everything in terms of win or lose. There's only so much, and if someone else has it, that means there will be less for me. The more principle-centered we become, the more we develop an abundance mentality, the more we are genuinely happily, happy for the successes, well-being, achievements, recognition, and good fortune of other people. We believe their success adds to rather than distracts from our own lives. I think he summed that up pretty good. Scarcity mentality. It's what I introduced to you a couple weeks ago called the crab mentality, right? Do you remember that? You put a bunch of crabs in boiling water. <laughs> They're just climbing on each other to, to get out. Pushing each other down. Isn't that what we do, right? When others excel, somehow it makes us feel bad. <laughs> right? When other people are successful and have, have success. It's, sometimes it's hard to celebrate because, I don't know, it, maybe it's just a simple self-reflective thing. But if we think there's only so much good to go around, it's hard to have an abundance mentality. So I'm going to close with just a couple minutes of a breakdown of the Jesus revolution. This uh, particular commentator, I think, broke it down pretty well. The Jesus Revolution, speaking of nostalgia, when I went to prom and stayed up all night, uh, when I was a young person in the church, I was probably about a little bit younger, probably in junior high school or something like that, when the hippie movement was in full force and the Jesus Revolution. And it touched this church as well. Um, many uh, in this congregation um, got caught up in the way. Uh, you'll, you'll, maybe you'll see up in the youth room some of the old posters that they had of flower power, <laughs> things like that. Um, many in several in this church uh, got exposed to that. Um, so I'm going to wrap up here. Luke 15, the stories of the lost coin, the value of the lost coin, the preciousness of a lost sheep, the humility and repentance of the lost son, here we get to pride. Where did we start with? Self-righteousness, a scarcity mentality, a transactional mentality. Fear of missing out. We must get sober and come to our senses like the younger son did. Acknowledge our sin. 
in humility. Repent and turn from these things. For all are sinful and fall short of God's glory. If we truly honest, our selfish sin nature has broken relationship with others and a holy, holy God. But it's, God great, it's God's grace that restores us as sons and daughters. He gives us the robe of dignity, the ring of authority, and sandals of restoration. The story, like I said, ends. We don't really know what happened to the second son. He's still outside the house. He's still angry, and we don't know if the kind words of the father had any effect on him. But he embraces the second son very much like the younger son. He doesn't mention his sin. He just reminds him that you're my son. You have all been always with me, and everything I have is yours. Get a robe. Get the best robe. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And God restores us. And all God wants from us is to turn in humility and recognize, recognize, not maybe in comparison to our neighbor or another person or other Christians of how well we're doing if we're earning God's favor, but in comparison to God, this is what God wants us to attain to. This is the heart that God wants us to have as well. So God's not necessarily shaking his finger, punishing those that are lost. He just wants us to be sober and realistic about our nature. The Apostle Paul says, let's consider ourselves with sober judgment, not too high of ourselves. And I might add, not too low. But in scripture, he is, let's not think too highly of ourselves. Even though we were created a little lower than angels, remind, we have to remind ourselves, we are created a little lower than angels. <laughs> and we also are a fallen race. And we have this root that is, you know, far from God's heart when it comes down to it. And the story of the lost sons and daughters in Luke 15 illustrate the heart of God and where we need to be. So let's close in prayer. God, we just thank you for uh, such a wonderful illustration of how you relate to your children, your sons and daughters, us. God, your desire is you wait, looking, seeking to reconcile with us as if we were a lost coin, a one in 99 sheep that you would leave and seek after. You have said in your word, uh, you have come to save the lost. God, you have come to reconcile the lost. And all you require from us, God, is a sober heart, not chasing after the false gods in this world, scarcity mentality. That's hard to see others succeed. That basically we need to get our share of the pie. 
But God, you already know that these things would leave us in need, leave us thirsty, continually thirsty. But God, the food that you give, that you want to give us, is food and water that will satisfy us, that we will thirst no more. Because we know that we are simply loved and cared for and appreciated as sons and daughters of you. So these things we thank, and all God's people said, amen. I almost said, and all God's people said, go kings. But I didn't. I waited till after the service was over to say that. <laughs> all right, good seeing you guys. Um, we're going to have a short fellowship time, and then... Uh, uh, I think the game's at 12.30. If anybody doesn't have anywhere to watch the game, you guys are welcome to come over to the house and watch at our house. So 